Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, uh, eighth day, <clears throat> you've been through a lot, <clears throat> a lot. It seems like there's no limit to how much you can go through sometimes. <clears throat> and sometimes it's very easy and delightful to be here, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> Especially as the retreat draws to a close. <laughs> Gee, this isn't so bad after all. <clears throat> And sometimes it's difficult to be here, as I'm sure you've seen. <clears throat> and the difficulty arises generally when we don't want to see what's actually here. That's where the problems get created. There's no problem if we make it okay for this moment to be just the way it is. But it's not so easy because the judging mind gets in the way a lot. We create a lot of extra suffering on top of the pain in the body or the restlessness or the scattered mind or the aversion or the anger or the fear. That's there. And then on top of it, with a sledgehammer, get away, I don't like you, that judging mind, which just compounds the problem tremendously <clears throat> judging how we think things should be either with ourselves in our own practice or other people around or how the retreat is being run or why aren't these guys in here sitting and <laughs> until the very end of the sitting and we've been busy doing other things <laughs> speaking to people with lots of judgments in their minds <laughs> Or there's expectations, how it's going to be the next sitting, or what I'm going to get out of the retreat. And then when they're not met, as often they're not, there's that disappointment. And again, more suffering. I used to think, before I got into this practice, I was pretty perceptive, pretty aware person. I was a psych major. I kind of scoped people out and got a sense of what they were they were up to. <clears throat> I used to be in a room full of people. Sometimes it happens now, but I'm, I catch it a little bit more than I, a lot more than I used to. I kind of perch myself from the corner, the ceiling. Oh, there's the intellect. Oh, there's the great lover. There's the loser. Just categorizing people. And it was a lot of pain a lot of suffering because then there was me uh-oh where do I fit in here <laughs> and when I got involved in the meditation and started hearing about this awareness without the judging it was a tremendous shift in the possibilities one day it clicked in my mind that this awareness with judging which I had been so used to just leads to a lot of self-consciousness separation and the awareness without the judging without that extra added component that we put in is just consciousness and there's a big difference between self-consciousness and consciousness and so a big part of the practice is seeing clearly the nature of that judging mind that gets in the way and keeps us from being conscious and just creates self-consciousness instead. There's lots of different ways for the judging mind to get triggered. We've probably seen a few different ways in the last eight eight days. Maybe it's just the mood that you're in, just like the weather. That image has been used a lot. One moment you're clear, and the next moment you're just kind of rotten, irritable. And things just seem to be bugging you in a different way. 
Or maybe there's a pain in your body that you just don't want to look at one more time. And then all of a sudden, people start being very inconsiderate and annoying in your eyes and start having a lot of judgments about them or about how you're doing. Or maybe your energy is just really low and fatigued and you start getting on that edge of being able to see clearly or being, uh, again, irritable and just sensitive. Or maybe you've got some kind of an attachment to an idea of how things should be and when they don't work out that way, those expectations, the judging mind pops up. Or maybe it's fear underneath it all that starts to blame other things. Or maybe if you see somebody doing something that really bugs you a lot, they're they're exhibiting a quality that maybe you don't want to look at in yourself. It kind of hits a bit too close to home. Gee, they're so clumsy. I better not drop this. Or maybe it's just a deeply conditioned habit of judging experience as it comes up, which is, which is a pretty common situation that we find ourselves in. There's lots of others that you could probably uh, add to the list. Just a few, and it's good to see that the judging mind has causes to it. Just something happens and then it creates a certain reaction in our minds. There's different directions for the judging to go. One is right back home to us. I'm rotten. I'm not good. I'm not doing this well. Whether it's here in the retreat or out in the world. And when that habit gets strongly conditioned when the direction is pointed inwards it's very easy to create and get lost in a negative self-image but I'm just not good enough or maybe for other people the direction more often is pointed outward to others around maybe you've gotten over blaming yourself but the fault is out there and you get into that blaming mode, whether it's in the retreat or out in the world. Because really, the, the retreat is like a, a microcosm of life, just to see how the mind works. It's not like this is, is creating something new in your mind. It's just that the conditions are set up for you to see it more clearly. But it's the same mind that you're carrying. And so you can start blaming others for the problems somebody's really loud or inconsiderate or doesn't do their job or sneezes a lot or has a cold or <laughs> I would miss Jack sniffling if it wasn't around I'm sure he wouldn't but it doesn't bother me you know and you just start taking that that victim stance why is this happening to me Out in the world, a lot of times when we get caught in blaming others or judging others, it prevents us from seeing all the other aspects of who they are. Just one little habit that they have. Maybe saying the word uh a lot or you know. You know, you know, you know. And all of a sudden you just zoom in on that. Oh, why do they say you know? They are just a worthless human being. And it just becomes so magnified that it prevents you from seeing clearly who they really are. So directing it at ourselves or at others or another way that we can direct it is just at life in general, at fate, whatever you want to call it. It's unfair. Life is unfair. And when that gets gets really strongly conditioned, the complaining mind is the predominant way of relating to life. Unfair, not right, woe is me. And you just start, keep on seeing what's wrong instead of the things that might be right. Have you noticed the different ways that you've gotten caught in judging in the last few days? 
I gave a talk on humbling before and being humbled. It's really a revelation to see. If you can see it with the right type of attitude, the right, the right relationship to it. Because the practice is really learning to open up to that shadow side, all that yucky stuff that we don't really look, like to look at, so that we're not driven by it. We can see it clearly. Oh, there's the judging mind. And hopefully when you see it, you're not judging the fact that it's there. Oh, there's the judging mind again. But just seeing it with some softness and some acceptance. Until we learn to open and accept, we're contracted and resisting. And that's where that compounded suffering comes in. So how to open, how to accept this shadow. There's a quality of mind that hasn't been talked about too much on this retreat, which is kind of implicit in this non-judging awareness. And I'd like to talk about tonight. And that's the quality of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is the antidote to the complaining mind, to the judging mind. By forgiveness, I'm not talking about a kind of condescending, well, all right, I'll put up with it. I'll kind of, they should know better, but, you know, I'll let it go by this time. That's not real forgiveness. I'm talking about a quality of openness that's, that really actively lets things be as they are. Not only tolerating, but embracing embracing the reality of what's here, exploring it, having compassion for the confusion, for the stuckness of the mind, whether it's our own or somebody else's. That's really the turning around of seeing what you don't like into letting it come in, that it's okay to be here. As I said at the beginning, as soon as you let it be okay, it's not the problem that it was before. <clears throat> Just as judgment has different directions to be pointed at, so does forgiveness. There are different levels or different um, relationships in which we can practice forgiveness. The first one which is what we're mainly practicing here on the retreat, is directing forgiveness towards ourselves. And sometimes it's not so easy because we often, many of us, most of us probably, have this idea that we should have it all together. You know, well, gee, I'm kind of grown up by now. I should, I should know better. And when other people make mistakes, well, they've just made mistakes, you know, they're they're human, but I should be perfect. That's one mode. That's the the judging mind turned inward. I have a bit of perfectionist streak in me, which used to drive me crazy. One time it occurred to me that perfectionists can only break even the best they can do. It was a really great relief to see that. And there's a bit of of humor in it and also a bit of of profundity in it. Because if you end up doing it perfectly, you just say, okay, I did that one perfectly, but what about the next one? And if there's any slight hitch in the way things went, I've blown it. I'm a loser. And then there's a good chance to beat yourself up and feel guilty about it. And when you feel guilty, you just want to beat yourself up more. I was talking about this with, with a group today. And the perfect way to beat yourself up more is to go ahead and do the unskillful action again. And so it's just a perpetuating cycle that often happens. This perfectionist streak, just take a look at it if, you've, if you have a tendency towards it. 
There's a, a beautiful line in the Third Zen Patriarch. I quoted the other night from the Third Zen Patriarch. This line says, to live in this realization, to live in truth, is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in the truth is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Can you imagine what it would be like if you just let yourself not be perfect? You don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. It's a losing battle. That means being willing to make mistakes and just learn from them instead of beating yourself up. And there's a a tremendous openness that comes from letting yourself be able to make mistakes and then grow. Because you're not busy second-guessing what you did, then it's a chance to understand in a new way. Oh, okay, that didn't work, let me try another way. And when I was a kid, I I used to be amazed that my uh, my father could drive from Queens to Brooklyn each Sunday or every other Sunday over all these mazes of highways and figure out just how to get to my grandparents' house. I remember saying to him once, boy, I'll never be able to learn that. And he looked at me and said, sure you will. I said, no. He said, yes, you will. You'll get old enough. You'll learn. You'll go out. You'll try it. You'll get lost. And then you'll find out the right way to do it. And it hadn't occurred to me the possibility that I could get lost and then figure out... that that was okay. I have a little poem that uh, I want to share with you about this allowing of making mistakes. It's beautiful. and A lot of people have probably heard it if they've done retreats before, but uh, it's always very inspiring to me. It's written by an 85-year-old woman named uh, Nadine Stair from Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky. It's called, If I Had My Life to Live Over. If I had my life to live over, I'd like to make more mistakes next time. I'd relax. I would limber up. I'd be sillier than I have been this trip. I would take fewer things seriously. I would take more chances. I would climb more mountains and swim more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. She's probably not used to retreat style. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who live sensibly and sanely, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day. I've been one of those persons who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, and a parachute. (laughs) If I had to do it again, I would travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would go to more dances. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. It's really a wonderful quality to let yourself make mistakes so you can learn from them. And so you can forgive yourself when they come. Have you practiced some forgiveness on the retreat? When your shoulder starts killing you, can you forgive it? Can you forgive those muscles that are trying so hard to work properly, that just have tension stored, that don't know yet to let go? Can you forgive that mind that just keeps getting stuck in the same tape loops? Can you soften and really appreciate that you're doing the best you can? That's an important quality of forgiveness. When you are really trying sincerely to see that you're doing the best you can and that's all you can do. 
if you have sincerely good intentions, what else can you do? You do what you can do with as much knowledge and awareness as possible and then however it goes, let the Dharma take care of the rest. Let the process just unfold in its own way. But somehow we often get this image of what it's like to have it all together and how the process is supposed to be. And when I get enlightened, I'll be more compassionate or wise or calm or concentrated. I want to share a a story about a party that took place a few years ago when a Zen master came to this country and Zen masters that were living in America were invited to uh, to celebrate just this this event and uh, and meet with each other. Someone who was at the gathering was describing what happened and said that some of the Zen masters just oozed mindfulness just so precisely and some of them were just very casual and hanging out and just looked like anyone else and some of them were dancing wildly and really letting it hang out and they were all Zen masters who was the enlightened one they were all Zen masters that just points to the fact that there's no one right way to be if you try to be like someone else, like your image of what it's supposed to be, it doesn't really work. And I think Jack mentioned a bit that the other night. The only person you can be absolutely perfectly is yourself. Even with your imperfections, that's perfectly you. It's like you're this perfect expression of life, of the Dharma. Just like this flower growing. But when we have this image of how we'd like to be and then we see ourselves and that separation, that's the distance between us and self-acceptance. It's important to see how deep the conditioning is. Just how long we've been cultivating these habits of putting ourselves down or wanting ourselves to be different than the way we are And that doesn't rule out working on ourselves and self-improvement, but how we are in this moment to really be able to accept it. had an experience on a retreat a few years ago. It's one of these longer retreats. I was really getting into the retreat. And as I mentioned the other night, I get into doing slow walking. I find it very useful. And this one particular I was in the gym at the meditation center and made an experiment to see how slowly I could go. Just I was doing slow walking as it was, but I just wanted to see, just as a game, how long it could take to get from one side of the gym to the other. There was nobody around, so there wasn't any self-consciousness about it. Just, Just a little experiment. And in the middle of this experiment, somebody walked into the gym who had just arrived at the center because a two-week retreat was, was just starting. And you can feel somebody's energy when they, when they come in. <clears throat> and I had a feeling it would look pretty bizarre, this person. <laughs> and sure enough, after about five minutes, I could feel the energy, the frustration, and saw this person bolt out of the, the room from the corner of my eye and just as he was passing by, the thought came in my mind, wow, I really blew her mind, didn't I? <laughs> just that proud, competitive, super yogi, far out. You know. Because I was a bit concentrated, more concentrated than I usually am, I could see that thought really clearly, though. And the next instant, I was just horrified by it. Oh my goodness, I've been practicing for two months thinking I had some openness and balance and non-judgment. And here it was, it was like the trapdoor opened to just this whole new level of comparison and competition and, and judging. 
And from that slow walking meditation, I just, I was like a tiger pacing up and down the room, trying to get out of my head. My goodness, just saw the vastness of it. After a while, pacing up and down, seeing just the predicament I was in, all I could do was have compassion for how deeply the conditioning was. It's very, very strong. We cultivate it so much in the world, pretty much in, in most moments that we're not really conscious and aware. There's a not liking of things if they're not the way we, we want them to be and judging that they're that way. Or there's saying, oh, this is the way it should be, finally. It's the right way. It's my way. And when you can start get a sen- getting a sense of how deep the conditioning is, then there's the possibility to relate to it with compassion, which is what happened in, in that particular situation. And from that real frustration, it just opened up to a new level of, of compassion. Not, and seeing that it wasn't only my predicament, but it, became, it started to become really clear that it's a predicament that we all have, that we all share. As uh, Stephen Levine says, seeing that it's not just my mind, but it's the mind that we all share. It's just seeing the nature of the mind. And this is a little laboratory for understanding and discovering it. The key to not getting caught up in that old habit is seeing the thought as it arises without getting lost in the content of it. Just to notice the process. Oh, here's the judging mind. Tape number 15, judging. And then there's not taking credit for how good a yogi you are or not taking blame for how lousy a yogi you are. It's just the thoughts coming and going that you don't need to give energy to if they don't feel wholesome. So this quality of not identifying with the thoughts, then you can start to make friends with that, that whole process and just see it in a, in a gentler way. And the less, less you see it seriously, the less power it has over you. When you start seeing it in yourself really clearly, as you probably have thousands of times in the last few days, then there's the possibility to have compassion for it when you see it in other, bu- other people, those old tapes that they get caught in. And that's the next level of forgiveness, of forgiving others. It starts with understanding where they're coming from. You know, you're seeing your own mind get lost in ignorance and fear and attachment and confusion. And just seeing that when somebody does something, as unskillful as it might be, it makes sense to them when they're doing it. And they're confused or unaware kind of state. And if you can slip into their minds and start to understand that it made sense to them, then maybe you can start to have the space to to see that confused mind at work and and open up to, to feel compassion for them and forgiveness for that. A lot of times when we're unable to forgive other people, it comes from our own judgments and expectations of how we want them to be. Once heard Ramdas talking about about this, he said, "You know, it's interesting. You go into the forest, and there's all different kinds of trees there. There's a tall, straight, young tree. And there's a little sapling, and then there's an old, gnarled tree, and a, a bushy one. And it's okay for every tree to be just the way it is. You don't go around saying, 'Gee, I wish that old, gnarled tree was straighter and stronger.' But when you come back into the world, it doesn't quite work that way." Well, if only she cut her hair a bit differently, or he talked a bit less, or they wore different kinds of clothes. And so it gives you an opportunity to see how much your expectations and ideas get in the way of allowing somebody in. So it's really an opportunity. It's an opportunity to see 
where you get stuck. Uh, Ramdas's guru, Maharaji, uh, Neem Karoli Baba, said something that I find really useful when I can remember it. He said, only see the good in people. Even when you know all the garbage that's there, just keep on tuning into their good because that's what you start drawing out. Even when you know all the garbage that's there, just keep on tuning into their good because that If you tune into their unskillful actions, that's what you start drawing out in them and resonating in them and putting that energy out from your own being. And so others, when they cause difficulty for us, provide us with an opportunity to open up, forgive, and draw out the best in others. There's a lot of unskillful action out in the world. Yesterday, Jack talked about really making a difference in the world in service. And it's very difficult to forgive people who cause a lot of suffering and hatred and separation. I find it very important to integrate Dharma practice and taking stands out in the world. Something that I've found useful is uh, something that a, a man, very wise man, said to me. He said, instead of fighting the deed, sorry, instead of fighting the doer of the deed, fight the deed. Instead of fighting that person as being separate from you, the real villain is ignorance. It's just not seen clearly. And when you can jump from that level of enemy to ignorance as being the enemy, then there's a chance for some possibility of communication. So, working with forgiveness towards others. There's one special area that I just want to mention, and that's forgiving, working with forgiveness when there's somebody very close with us, very close to us, primary relationship or an intimate relationship or close relative that one somehow gets us caught even more than people we don't even know. Because we, we have a lot invested. We have our expectations and our approval depending on what they say or what they do. had a, an experience that opened my eyes around this a number of years ago. Actually, it's the first time I met Ramdas and uh, was carrying around the pain of a difficult relationship with me <clears throat> and talked about it for a while with him and wanted his advice on what to do and he looked at me and he said you know you're a real romantic and I said yep I know I'm really romantic and he said no but you're a real romantic and I said well what do you mean by that and he said it's interesting somehow Everybody else is the Buddha and you're relating to them love, serve, remember and stuff like that. But when it comes to this special person, they're not allowed to be the expression of Dharma that they, that they are. And somehow you box them up to be a certain way that you want them to be, not seeing that they're just working out their own karma and their own process and their own growth and confusion and ignorance and unskillful action because we often give up our power to that other person and think that the love that, that we somehow feel in being with them is out there in them. And that if they don't act the way we want them to towards us, then they're taking our love away from, from us. And that's not the way it works. Really, the love that we feel comes from inside. 
and that person is just able to touch it sometimes and it's beautiful when that happens but it doesn't mean that it's dependent on them when you feel that love you start feeling it for for the the world for life for different forms for everybody for little kids and so it means taking responsibility for our own reactions in relationship and see where we get our buttons pressed and allowing that person just to be who they are working out their own trips too not perfect this working with forgiveness towards others it's really a tremendous opportunity to practice connection with all life and not separating ourselves out A few years ago, the Dalai Lama came to the uh, the center in Massachusetts, and people were doing the three-month retreat. And somebody asked him how he felt about the Chinese, you know, who had kicked the Tibetans out of Tibet, pretty much, and tortured a lot of other ones, and might be the undoing of this fantastically beautiful and wonderful culture. And he said. I'm grateful for the Chinese. They've given me such an opportunity to practice compassion, forgiveness. If you can start relating in that way, that's a very high state of mind, but just points to some kind of possibility, some kind of direction. So that's a second area, forgiving ourselves and forgiving others. last area is what I call forgiving the Dharma if you've been doing a lot of retreats before or have been hearing the word Dharma for the last eight days it might seem a little strange forgiving the Dharma forgiving the truth and yet it really is what we're called on to do again and again and again as we're sitting here practicing and also out in life as the pain comes as the confusion comes instead of saying oh no oh shit why is this happening there might be a different response okay this is what this moment's lesson is how can I learn from it how can I open up to it far out just what I needed to see it's like that retreat I, I spoke about the other day it wasn't particularly fun being humbled and it was very valuable just what I needed the first truth is suffering because there's impermanence now how do you deal with that truth can you open up to it can you really accept how we create our own suffering with our reactions some people think or it's easy to think that harmony means everything being love and light and smiles and peace and tranquility that's harmony but harmony in a bigger sense includes the whole show it includes birth and it includes death It includes joy and it includes sorrow and suffering. And really to come to terms with harmony means to accept it all. That means letting go of control. We talked about that the other night. Letting go of control of how you think it should be to really being willing to see what's here so that any situation is workable. And when you come from that space of forgiving this moment then you can start responding appropriately instead of reacting out of fear or negativity or attachment and so it it allows some space for clarity of action in that moment of forgiveness non-judgment the practice in a very direct way is cultivating this quality of forgiveness in each moment of mindfulness each moment that you see your mind wandering and you gently bring it back you're cultivating 
a moment of forgiveness. Okay, let that go in the past, and now what's happening now? Oh, thinking, thinking, breathing, hearing. It means not clinging, or not condemning, or not identifying, just being think- with things the way they are. Having a soft mind, an open mind, an accepting mind. What I would encourage you to do in the last day, day and a half of practice is to pay particular attention to the judging mind. Make that the focus. In addition to seeing clearly, notice the tone you have when you notice things. As I mentioned in some groups, see if you can do it like a caress, like you're just making nice to a baby. Oh, judging, judging. Okay. Because that will be as important a lesson to carry with you out into the world as being present in each moment. Because that really doesn't happen on a, in a practical way. You're not going to be microscopically present in every moment. But if you can learn a little bit of softness and patience and forgiveness, that'll get you through the difficult times. There's one other quality that can help open us when things get very contracted that I want to share with you in addition to this forgiveness. And that's the quality of loving-kindness. Loving-kindness is a quality of mind that can be cultivated just like mindfulness, just like equanimity, And what I'd like to do is share with you a loving-kindness meditation, metta meditation, M-E-T-T-A is the word, metta in Pali, that you can do at the beginning of a sitting to, to still the mind, to soften it, or at the end of a sitting when you're feeling quite settled and want to generate those thoughts, or when you're feeling very, very tight and contracted and can't see clearly, just to take a few moments to soften the heart so that then you can see a bit more Um, with a bit more clarity what's going on. So I'd like you to just sit up for a few minutes. And just close your eyes gently. Just breathe in and out of your heart. Just breathe in and out of your heart center. Just to soften that area. You might even imagine breathing in light and radiating it out. starting off with some forgiveness to kind of clean your slate with the world. I'll say the words out loud and just take them inside. And if you connect with them, fine. If you can feel the feelings. If you don't, let that be okay too. Just take whatever comes up. If I've hurt or offended anyone in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask your forgiveness now. If anyone has hurt or offended me in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive you now realizing that unskillful actions come out of ignorance or fear or attachment. Then forgive yourself, myself for being just who I am and accept myself that way.
and see if you can connect with that sincere place inside that really wants to understand and grow that's put in a whole lot of hard work while you've been here that deserves to be happy and extend those thoughts towards yourself may I be happy may I be peaceful may I grow in loving kindness and compassion May I grow in wisdom and understanding. May I be happy and peaceful. May I grow in loving kindness and compassion. May I grow in wisdom and understanding. Now bring to mind someone who opens your heart. Bring them into your heart and send some loving thoughts to them. May you be happy and may you be peaceful. May you be free of suffering and fear. May you grow in kindness and compassion and love. May you grow in understanding You can bring again someone else or maybe a few people that come to mind. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be filled with joy and loving kindness, compassion. May you be filled with wisdom. May you be happy. Now start directing your thoughts to everyone in this room who you've shared the last eight days with the community that we are all in. May all of us be happy. And may all of us be filled with peace. May all of us be filled with loving kindness and compassion. May all of us grow in wisdom. May all of us share any wisdom and love that's come through our practice with all beings that we meet. May we all be happy. Now from this room, radiate those thoughts out throughout the building and the area, the state, the country, 
the planet to all beings in all directions as I would like to be happy so may all beings be happy as I would like to be peaceful so may all beings be filled with peace May all beings grow in loving kindness and compassion for themselves and for others. May all beings grow in wisdom and understanding and see things clearly. May all beings everywhere be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.